You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. Backed by nobody's a man but our own, I am Philip Jordan, the host of The Philip Jordan Show. I am the in-studio host and producer of Dutch Woods Football on I-6.9, The Legend, and the Auburn Rider for Last Word on college football. On today's show, I'm going to be joined by John Johnson, the sports editor of the Dothan Eagle. We will discuss new Troy head coach, Jared Parker. What does John think about the hire and his introductory press conference? We'll also look back at former Troy head coach, John Summerall. What is his legacy after a 23-4 and two-year stint with Troy Trojans? Then we'll preview the Troy Trojans bowl matchup with Duke in the Birmingham Bowl that will be played on Saturday. And also, we will talk Alabama and Auburn. What is the outlook for Auburn moving forward? Great recruiting class coming in after the early signing day this week. And what does John think about the Alabama-Michigan matchup? All that and more on today's Phil Jordan Show. You can check out the Phil Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody, my guest today is Dothan Eagle Sports Editor John Johnson. Uh, John, make a return visit to the show. We're going to talk all things uh, Troy football here today. But, John, I appreciate you taking time coming on the show today. Always, Philip. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I know when we uh, first talked about having you on this week, it was going to be all bowl, uh, but Troy has a new head football coach and Jared Parker coming from Notre Dame where he was the offense coordinator and tight ends coach up there. And uh, just uh, that's where I want to jump off at. Just what what were your initial thoughts? Just, you know, before his press conference and all that stuff, when you heard the name that he was going to be the next head coach at Troy, uh, what were your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts were I was I was shocked because I hadn't heard his name really. You know, we were hearing different people, and that wasn't one of them. But then you hear an offensive coordinator from Notre Dame, and that makes you take notice. Um, you know, hopefully he'll come in here and do a good job at Troy. You know, Summerall was very defensive oriented, and uh, you know their defense has been very good the last couple of years. Uh, I feel like you know. Parker will come in and hire an offensive coordinator, I would think. I wouldn't think he would be calling the plays himself. I think that's just gotten too tough for head coaches at any level. So it would be interesting to see if he will uh, retain Coach Craddock, Joe Craddock, who is the current offensive coordinator at Troy, uh, who could be in demand other places. But uh, it would be interesting to see if that he keeps him aboard, and I think that would be a good move uh, because he's really, uh, you know, he's two years into this offense this year, and it really blossomed. Uh, this past season. So I think it'd be a good move to keep him if he can. Uh, we'll see what happens on the defensive end. I know Gasparado is uh, one of the guys that was a lot of people had hoped would be the head coach. And I'm sure some are all maybe talking to him about going to Tulane. So I don't know what will happen on that side of the football. But from all indications, this guy's a, he's a good guy. He's a good recruiter. And I think that was very important uh, for what Troy wanted. He's had a lot of stops at different places. And I think that's a good thing, too. He's had got a lot of good experience at smaller colleges and also big ones like Penn State and uh West Virginia and things like that. And I know Sumrall and Neil Brown, the former Troy coaches, well, think very highly of him. And I'm sure that went into the decision-making process from Brent Jones, the athletics director. 
Yeah, I noticed when uh, Troy's social media was putting out quotes from former coaches, Chip Lindsey was missing. I guess I didn't reach out to him to see what he thought about the hire. You know, it was kind of interesting uh, during the press conference as well as Dr. Jack Hawkins, the chancellor, talked about Neil Brown. And then he kind of skipped Chip Lindsey, didn't even mention his name, and then went on to Summerall. So, yeah, I think Lindsey's just someone that they don't ever want to even bring up. It wasn't like the guy did a terrible job, but uh, – I don't think there's a lot of fun memories of Chip Lindsey, kind of like Brian Harson at Auburn, I guess. Yeah, it's almost like they uh, have erased him from the uh, the Troy history books. I think it was last year. Uh, they made a, like a tweet or something, and they kind of said the last four years, and it was like the last three years of Neil Brown in the first year. Uh, John Summerall just skipped those three years with Chip Yeah, Lindsay. I might have to go back and look at the media guide from this year and see if he's even in it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, Troy did not play football for three years. I guess yeah, that's just right, that's just right. the thing. You talk about the press conference, and I do see one similarity with John Sorrell. He's a fiery guy. You can kind of tell just kind of just the way he presented himself, talked about the defense he's going to wreak havoc. Obviously, he's an offensive guy. But any other like standouts from stuff he said, I know talk about two championships. I mean, and that's what Troy expects, Sunbelt championship to compete for that every year. And he even had that line at the end and said, I hope at the end of the year we're always missing uh, one of our goalposts. But just a very fiery guy. Yeah, and I think he's going to fit in being at a place like Troy because he grew up in such a small town in Kentucky. You know, I think that makes a difference, too. I don't think he sees his first head coaching job at Troy as just, you know, let me see what I can do in two years and then try to move on. I think, you know, this could be a place that he could feel comfortable for a while if he's doing a good job. And, you know, if he's doing a really good job, he'll get other opportunities. But I think it's like Coach Sumrall. You know, Sumrall – he liked Troy. He had been at Troy before, and um, it wasn't like he was just looking to leave, but he became a very attractive commodity over the last two years, and he made a move that he thought was best for himself and his family, and you can't fault him for that at all. But I think, uh, you know, Coach Parker may be a guy that would be, you know, him and his family would feel comfortable at Troy, and hopefully they can build on what's been started the last couple of years with Summerall. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about Jim Summerall, look, two years, 23 and four, great two years. Uh, there are two Sunbelt titles, and you know, we'll get to the bowl game, but the team is looking for two straight 12-win seasons. But in this two years, so, you know, throwing legacy may be, be premature. But just when you look at John Summerall, his two years there at Troy, what stands out to you? What do you think his legacy is? I think the fact that he just got that program under control. I mean, look, when Lindsey left, a lot of those same players were still at Troy that Summerall took over and completely turned the program around. And you could see it from the practices, Philip. I mean, it was so different. And I don't want to knock. Uh, Lindsay, because everybody does it differently. But mm. when you went to a Troy practice with Sumrall, as opposed to Lindsay, it was so much more uniformed and strict and disciplined. And it was to the point of, you know, after every practice, you better pick up your stuff in the locker room. We better not find anything down on the floor. It was that kind of thing. It was the discipline thing. And everyone bought in to what he was trying to do at Troy. I mean, and, and you know, it was one of those deals to where, you know, the, you knew the players would respond to him because they knew how much he was invested in them. And so when they went to battle on Saturday afternoons, man, they – if they had a tough first half, you knew they would come back stronger in the second half. And that's a big reflection on Summerall and his staff because those kids just got better as the game went along. They made adjustments, and that's something we didn't see under Lindsey. 
Yeah, we never saw Lindsey have an outburst over on the sidelines. Like we yeah. got a couple of with John Silver. I still remember the Ole Miss game this first year. He did that, yeah. and of course, in the Sun Belt Championship game when they didn't call the obvious face mask against uh, yes. Gunnar Watson. Uh, he had his get back coach earned his money uh, that time. I, st- I still remember seeing the overhead shot where he thought like, ran what thirty to forty yards. Yeah. He saw he saw what was about to happen. But yeah, we'll, we'll see uh, if. Uh, New coach, Coach Parker, has that kind of intensity on side. And I think that meant a lot to the players. Because I think with some wrong, it showed that you have a coach that's willing to fight for you. Absolutely. Yeah, that first Ole Miss game, I was wondering, man, is this guy going to make it as a head coach? Because, you know, he was fired up like, you know, he just I didn't know if he could emotionally, you know, handle the job of being a head coach. But, yeah, he's going to go down as one of the best to ever come through Troy without a doubt. Uh, looking at the Birmingham Bowl, which you know you will be there on Saturday, eleven o'clock on ABC. Troy is listed as a seven-point favorite, and the over/under is forty-four and a half. But just looking at this matchup, obviously a lot of players from Duke are not playing. Uh, they've hit the portal. Obviously, the quarterback Riley Leonard, he's now at Notre Dame. They've got other players too as well. Running back Jordan Waters is not going to play. Defense lineman Aeneas Peebles. But just you know, you look at this matchup: Troy versus Duke. Troy's first time playing a Power Five team in a bowl game. Uh, just, what, what stands out to you uh, with this matchup? Well, kind of what you just said, uh, Duke's going to be missing so many more star players than Troy is. I mean, Troy's uh, – the only one that I'm not sure that's going to play is Jaden McDonald, who is, is in the transfer portal. But I haven't heard that he isn't. In fact, I, I was able to talk to Coach Gasparato, I guess it was Tuesday afternoon, uh, by phone. And uh, I asked him that. He said, we're just really not sure right now. Um as far as that situation. But Javon Solomon, who's, um, you know, he's going to be going t- to the pro ranks or he's going to enter, enter the NFL draft. He's going to play in the senior bowl. We know that. I don't expect Kamani Vidal to be back next year at Troy. I figure, figure he will enter the NFL draft. They have not said that, either one of them. But they both went through senior day, so you don't expect them back. But we do expect him to play Saturday. All of Troy's players are, as far as I know, except for maybe McDonald and a few that are entering the portal that really were non-factors, are expected to play Saturday. And I think that's going to be a big difference maker because Duke's going to be out there with a freshman quarterback. Uh, as you said, Riley Leonard's not going to be playing. Their top running back's not going to be playing. Defensive lineman's not going to be playing. Their best linebacker's not going to be playing. And I think this is a game that Troy dearly wants to win too. I mean, uh, for Duke, you know, I guess if you're looking at it from Duke's standpoint, yeah, we want to win a bowl game, but it's not the same as Troy wanting to win a bowl game but also beating a Power 5 team like Duke. And and just to show the nation that, hey, if you haven't paid any notice of what we've done the last two years, here you go. You know, this is what we we do. And uh, national TV, ABC, 11 a.m., you know, everybody's getting up and starting to watch bowl games that day. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, look at Duke, too. They may be looking at, too, of course, uh, their new head coach is going to be Manny Diaz. Uh, Trooper uh, Trooper Taylor, a, a familiar name for, yeah. to a lot of Auburn people out there, is going to be is their interim head coach. You kind of wonder, are they kind of looking, okay, we are, we're trying to impress the, the new head coach. Assistants are probably saying we want to still be on staff. And also, in a way, you could look at almost like an NFL preseason game for them. These are players just trying to impress the incoming coaching staff. Well, like you said with Troy, this is kind of like, this is a real postseason game for them because you're trying to put a cap on that season to go 12 and two. And you know, being around and you've seen this team, how do you, how have they have responded? You think since John Summerall has left and with 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 Coach Gasparato? 
Yeah, just very professionally. And that's what Gasparato said, you know, because I asked him that question Tuesday. And I did see him practice the day after Summerall announced that he was going to Tulane. I went up there on Saturday morning just to kind of see how they were going to react and how they were reacting. You couldn't tell a difference in the world. And and that, I think that's probably been the way it's been all week. Um, I said, you know, I asked Gasparato, you know, how have they handled not just the players but the coaches, just the distractions that have gone over, over the past week of, you know, who will the new coach be? You know, what's going to happen with me, this, that, and the other. And he said, just very professional, just going out there and playing and doing their job every day at practice and preparing. And I feel like that's, that's the kind of Troy football team I've seen for two years. And I don't expect that to be any different this week. Uh, don't know about Duke, you know, have no idea. They, if you want to read, you know, things about them, uh, they're saying the same thing. You know, we want to go out there and, and, play football and do our thing. And I'm sure they do, you know, but I feel like I have no doubt that Troy's going to go out there want to win the football game. It's not just, you know, let's have fun this week at bowl week and then just, you know, whatever. Uh, Troy wants to win this game. And I think we'll, we'll see their best foot being put forward. And look, Gunnar Watson, I'm sure this is his last football game uh, as a quarterback, probably unless he plays in some other smaller t- – he's not going to the NFL, I wouldn't think. Uh, this is kind of his going out, you know, party, and I think he's going to really want to show people, you know, what he's been about because he's been under the radar for two years. You know, mm-hmm. here's a guy that every year you bring in people out of the portal and they think, you think, okay, who's going to take Gunner's spot? And every year, for like three years really – Gunner just keeps doing his thing, and he ends up being the man. And without a doubt, this year, there was none of that speculation, even though they got a, a Goose Crowder out of the transfer portal from West Virginia. Um, Gunner was the guy, and uh, I, th- I think it would be great for him to go out on a strong note. And, and, you know, I say this is probably his last game as a quarterback. Um who knows? I mean, he's had a really good year. Best quarterback in the Sun Belt, really, if you want to think about it. Uh, and every week it seems like somebody in the Sun Belt would come in with a hot hand and Gunner would out, outplay him. So maybe he gets a shot in the NFL or maybe the, the whatever the USFL and all that's going to be next. Maybe he gets a shot in that if he wants to. But I sure would like to see him go out on a good note with Troy because he's, he's definitely earned that. Hey, and if the NFL thing doesn't work out, he'll be in the stadium of the Birmingham Stallion. So, you know, who there knows? You That's there you go. So, uh, we know they're playing. We just don't know what their league's going to be called and everything. <laughs> where they're playing, really. Yeah. I think I saw something yesterday where they may do a, a thing to where they all play in Arlington next year, like they did in Birmingham for a year or so. So, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that too. I know with the XFL, they did a thing where they all practice in Arlington, but then they would all fly out to the cities they played in. So okay. we'll see. We'll see. But, and, and there receivers too at Troy too. I mean, that's another thing. Jabri Barber, of course, former Dothan. Yeah. Dothan, and then also Chris Lewis. I mean, you look at his numbers, he only has 32 catches, but at 735 yards with an average of 23 yards per catch and 10 touchdowns. It felt like every week this season he was making and an incredible one-handed grab that was usually for a touchdown. And, you know, what was kind of strange to me, it's like they almost hit him for the first half or so because they they threw to seem like everybody else, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, there's Lewis running free down the sideline Mm -hmm. and making a great one-handed catch, like you said, when it really counted. It's almost like they hide him until it's time to use him. And then, man, whenever they threw his way, uh, he can really make the plays. And and that's another huge – 
guy that will be back for Troy next year. You know, he's already said he will be back. And, of course, he transferred from Kentucky to Troy. So, you know, his options aren't as, as great as some of the others if they want to go somewhere. But I think he, he likes where he is. He's a, you know, he's from Alabama. And uh, I think he just fit in better at Troy than in Kentucky. And, man, he's really, uh, he's really impressed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still remember a uh, game earlier in the year he called that Hail Mary uh, toward halftime. So, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's a threat. He's a threat. So, uh, uh, if you don't want to give a pick, you don't have to, but just kind of uh, any other thoughts uh, on the Birmingham Bowl for Saturday? Well, Duke's a good football team. I mean, they are. I mean, I know it's not the same team that, you know, won earlier in the year against Clemson, but they're a good, strong, steady football team. But I do think Troy's, I think Troy's a better team. And uh, I, I feel like it'd be a close game, but I, I'm going to go with Troy. I'm not going to pick, you know, I don't know score wise, because uh, I do think it'll be tight. But I, 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 I'm going to go Troy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's hope two 12 uh, win season in a row is a pretty big deal for yeah, these players. Something to play for, obviously. Uh, real quickly before I let you go, the uh, Alabama and Auburn stuff. So Auburn, obviously, six and six. Uh, if they were a uh, miracle throwaway uh, or from beating Alabama, Jalen Monroe with that miracle throw. Uh, they could have been seven and five. Could have been better than that if they beat New Mexico State, but still six and six. Mm-hmm. But I think right now, Johnny, get your thoughts. Just it just feels like there's a lot of momentum with Auburn right now with Hugh Freeze, just because what we saw uh, on the early signing period, top ten class, which is what Hugh Freeze wanted, their first full class he was able to have. Just your thoughts on on, on Auburn uh, moving forward. No, I agree with you, and I think this bowl game is important to them. Uh, just like we talked about Troy. Seven and six sounds a lot better than six and seven, a heck of a lot better. I mean, at least you can say it's a winning record. You got seven wins. And then you had those close ones like the Alabama game. You were right there. You know, Auburn was right there with Georgia. I mean, you know, the two of the best teams, obviously, in college football. So, uh, although the talent level is nowhere near Alabama and Georgia right now, they played with those teams. And then you had the big recruiting day yesterday to where they really shined and are starting to get the players that you have to have to compete on a consistent basis in the SEC as far as being a contender. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of momentum, and I think it would be important for Auburn to win this game. Um, Auburn hadn't done real well in bowl games in recent years, and no matter the reason. it just They just haven't played well. Uh, but I think it will be very important for Auburn to, to, to have a good showing in this one. I think they will play very hard. I, I think this will be an interesting game. Of course, Maryland's without their, their quarterback. Um, to his brother. I don't want to even try to say the last name. Uh, but anyway, you know, that's a big deal there. You know, I think that gives Auburn the edge. And, and Auburn's going to be a, have a huge crowd there. I mean, it's going to be like a home game for Auburn. So, yeah, I, I think Auburn will, will, will play well in that one. And I think it's another game for Peyton Thorne to establish himself as a starter uh, looking ahead to next year. Because uh, there'll be some people wondering, will he be the guy next year with, uh, you know, the Walker White coming in as a freshman and Holden Gardner, uh, who's, you know, everybody likes how he can throw the football. I mean, he's not that mobile, but, man, he can spin the football, they say. But Peyton Thorne's a guy that Auburn's going to put there. You know, that's the guy next year going in, unless just someone out of the portal, portal uh, emerges that we're not thinking about. But, you know, he Freach has said, you know, as much as said that Peyton's our guy uh, going forward. So I think it's important for him to have a good game. I really mm-hmm. do. If he goes out there and struggles and throws a couple of interceptions against Maryland, well, maybe you start thinking differently again. Maybe Coach Freeze starts thinking differently. So I think it's important for him to have a good game. He had a very good one against Alabama, and I think that left a good taste in everybody's mouth. 
yeah, when you look at the receivers they're bringing in through, you know, through the high school ranks, I mean, it is, I mean, it's got to be one of the best Auburn classes on paper coming in for next year. You just got to think one or two of them is going to stand out. I mean, yeah. you want to hope all, all of them do, but two of them have to, and then you get talent around them that can make a difference. Um, Alabama play in Michigan classic matchup. I asked um, an Alabama writer earlier in the week, John, I'm going to ask you this question, see if you can answer this trivia question. Yeah, okay. Alabama and Michigan have met a few times over the years in bowl games. Who was the starting quarterback for the last Michigan team to beat Alabama? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't Greasy. Greasy, son. I don't know. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I'm about to say Brady. I'm about to say Brady. That's right. And what year was that? That was 2000. Uh, Mike DeBose, remember the year? It was off the 99 year, but it was the 2000 Orange Bowl. Okay. Uh, that was when Alabama won the SEC championship. When DeBose beat Spurrier twice that year with uh, Sean Alexander, I remember uh, the kicker missed the extra point in overtime to lose the game when they played uh, Michigan. I yeah, had actually was- forgot that. I was probably about 12 then. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember watching that, it. But you got a better memory than me because I remember them playing them in the Orange Bowl, but I couldn't even tell you who won. I, I, I have rewatched that game. That's one of my all-time favorite games. There's probably people say, why? As it, you saw he had so many pros, and then now you look back, it was Tom Brady who ended up a seventh-round draft pick, and we know his pro career. But uh, this year's version, it seemed like Alabama-Michigan is a good matchup for Alabama just because Michigan – they have a good quarterback. They don't have outstanding wide receivers. They want to run the ball, in which that plays into what Alabama wants you to do. Just, I mean, how, how do you see that one going? No, I think it's, it's what you said. In, in Michigan, I think it's not going to get away from their game plan. They're going to try to run the football, which plays right into Alabama's hands. And what we've seen so many times over the years in these, whether it's bowl games or playoffs or whatever, you put an SEC team, a good SEC team, against a Big Ten team. And just the athletes are quicker for the SEC team. And there's more depth and there's, you know, I just feel like Alabama, you know, obviously they have really hit their stride late and their offensive line has gotten so much better over the course of the season. I think if they just keep doing what they're doing, uh, you know, they can beat Michigan. Now, uh, Michigan has been without a doubt, one of the best teams throughout the season. Uh, They've proven themselves. I haven't watched them a lot. I've watched them a little bit. And when I watched them, I thought, yeah, that's they're legitimate. That's a very good football team. Um, let's see what they do against the SEC caliber team that has the quickness and the depth and that kind of thing. Um, it will be a great matchup. And I could see it going either way. I really could. Um, I, I feel like that perhaps um, Alabama te- and Texas are the two best teams left, and they may end up meeting again for the for the national championship, which would be interesting in the Rose Bowl where they played way back when for the national championship. Um, so, in you know, I think out of the four teams, those are probably the two I would say that will end up playing for the championship, but who knows? I think they're, they're two pretty good matchups. Washington's the only one out of the four that I just don't really have a lot of confidence in for whatever reason. Um, I don't know that they're one of the four best teams when you start thinking about all that kind of stuff, but they deserve to be there, but so did Florida State deserve to be there if you go back to how things were done in the past. Uh, if you want the four best teams, you know, Georgia's one of them and they're not there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even Ohio State, you know, should be thought about in along those lines. Somewhat, I think Georgia and Ohio State are better than Washington. I'll put it, there, put it like that. 
But I think Texas, Alabama, Michigan, I think either one of those three could win it all. I just don't feel confident in uh, Washington being that much of a, a factor in this thing. Yeah, well, next year we will have 12 of them in there. So uh, yeah, the, what yeah. we're having this year uh, doesn't make Florida State fans feel any better saying that. Right. But uh, but still, next year we'll get to 12. And, uh, John, this has been fun, as always, having you on the show, talking all things you know, college football here in the state of Alabama. But uh, if the listeners or viewers want to check you out, where can they find you? Yeah, dothanego.com, of course, is our website. Um, I also like to tell people that they can go on Facebook and look uh, for the Dothan Eagle, follow the Dothan Eagle Facebook site because a lot of our stories, most all of them, are posted on that as well. So, yeah, and if you want to give me a, a, a look on Twitter, it's Eagle Sports Ed, and that's for editor. If you want to find the Ed, my name is John Ed Johnson, but Eagle Sports Ed for, on the Twitter uh, if you want to check that out as well. All right, everybody, go check out the Dothan Eagle. Go check out John's uh, work as well. And, uh, uh, John, I appreciate the time, and I look forward to doing some guests time down the road. Sounds good, Philip. Thanks for inviting me. A new soccer club is coming to Dothan, Alabama, and you get to name the team. From now until December 24th, cast your vote for your favorite team name or submit your own name. Everyone who votes will get a pair of tickets to the opening night. Limit one pair per household. Go to 969thelegend.com to vote. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just the beginning great conversation there with john johnson from the dothan eagle talking all things toward football alabama and auburn now let's look at a couple of news headlines since the last time we talked of course on wednesday was the early signing day let's just call it what it is it's national signing day that's when all the big names get signed most of them anyways just kind of just going over some of the uh, top 10 in that and where some SEC teams did rank in the rankings. Georgia come out with number one. They signed four, five stars and 24 stars. So losing Dylan Rayola to Nebraska did not hurt the, the Georgia ranking there. And these are all come from 24-7 sports. Alabama came in at number two. They signed three, five stars, 17, four stars, 25 total. Of course, quarterback Julian Sayan, a five-star quarterback out of California, Wide receiver Ryan Williams has not signed. He's still verbally committed to Alabama, the receiver out of Saraland, but he has not officially signed yet. Number three is Miami. They signed two five-stars, 11 four-stars, but Miami really moved up the board, and they were the number one ranked team out of the ACC, jumping Florida State. Number four, Ohio State, you expect to see that. They are at number five, and uh, they, had tw- they had 12 four-stars. 
Oregon at number five. Texas at six. Remember, Texas is an SEC team for next year. Auburn in it at number seven. They signed two five-stars, 13 four-stars. Of course, wide receiver is the big story here with Auburn. The receiver class they have coming in may be one of the best, if not the best, Auburn receiver in class they've ever had. You have five-stars, Cam Coleman out of Central Phoenix City, Perry Thompson out of Foley, and the four-star receivers, Bryce Kane. Of course, he is out of Baker. They also signed Malcolm Simmons as well out of Benjamin Russell. He is a four-star wide receiver. That goes along with quarterback Walker White, who's a four-star out of, four-star out of Little Rock, Texas. Auburn did sign three of the top six recruits in the state of Alabama. That also includes linebacker DeMarcus Riddick out of Chilton County. At number eight was Oklahoma, number nine, Florida State, number 10, Notre Dame. And now I'm just going to look at some SEC teams and Southeast teams. LSU at 11, Clemson at 12, Tennessee comes in at 13, Florida at 16, Texas A&M at 17, South Carolina comes in at 20, 21 is Ole Miss, 24, Missouri, 25, Kentucky, 26, Arkansas, 35, Mississippi State, and 40 is Vanderbilt. So all SEC teams, all 16 of them are all in the top 40, according to 24-7 sports. In the current recruiting rankings, of course, that would change in February. That's when the official signing day is or whatever. We know the deal. I just said it. Most of the big names signed this week. But uh, these rankings can change a little bit according to what happens in February. Florida State to leave the the ACC. That was a new story going around on Thursday. Yahoo Sports, Ross Dillinger. So there's a scheduled meeting of Florida State University Board of Trustees and could result in a formal legal filing in what many describe as the first step to achieving an exit from the ACC's binding grant of rights agreement. Legal experts say that the school could seek what's called a declaratory judgment action in an, in an effort to get a judge to rule that the school is not bound to its contract with the ACC. Of course, the ACC has the grant of rights also along with ESPN until the 2035-36 academic year. Uh, this is not time for the state to float us out there. This was mentioned earlier. In the football season, uh, over the years, there's been talk with Florida State ever leave the ACC. And, you know, just with the landscape that is college football and college athletics right now, we do seem to be heading toward an era where it's going to be the SEC and a Big Ten, kind of like the AFC and the NFC. And you're wanting to get in one of those. And then when you look at two, the argument can be made was Florida State also punished for being in the ACC. Obviously, still a big talking point is Florida State being held out of the college football playoff. Now, if they had been an ACC, I mean, an SEC or a Big Ten member, would they have been left out as an undefeated team, even with Jordan Travis going down? You're an SEC, Big Ten, I don't think they would have. They probably would have been in the playoff, but also can say this, especially if they're an SEC without your quarterback, without Jordan Travis. They probably wouldn't have been undefeated without him toward the end of the year. But anyways, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Uh, what will the Florida State Seminoles end up doing and what happens on Friday? We'll be making sure to give you more updates on that next week. Now, looking over the NFL on Thursday night, New Orleans Saints lost to the Rams 30-22. to The Saints tried to make a great comeback there. At the end. They were down 30-7 to with 12.44 left in the fourth quarter. 
but the Saints could not stop the Rams' offense on Thursday night. Matthew Stafford was 24-34 for two for 328 and two touchdowns. Running back Kyron Williams had 104 yards and one touchdown. Puka Nakua, the rookie wide receiver, had nine catches for 164 yards and one touchdown. Like I said, the Saints were down 30-7 to with 12-44 in the fourth, but they did make a furious attempt at a comeback. Uh, Derek Carr found Jawan Johnson for a five-yard touchdown to make it 30-14 to with 6-33, and then the Saints would get a block punt on the next Rams possession, and then two plays later, Carr would find A.T. Perry for a 35-yard touchdown, and then Chris Olave had a two-point conversion to make it 30-22, to but the Saints were not able to get the onside kick with three or three left in the game, and then the Rams were able to run out the clock. The Rams got 458 total yards in the game, like I said. For most of the game, the Saints could not stop the Rams. It was defensively, they just could not make any plays to keep things at a manageable level. But at the same time, the Saints had opportunities. Uh, they were 0-3 on fourth down, 5-11 on third down. And they had multiple chances, especially in the first half, where they turned the ball over on downs in Rams territory. In their second drive of the game, down 7-0. to On a fourth and five play, they were at the Rams 39-yard line. Carr was sacked for a negative nine yards. And then down 7-10 to with 56 seconds left in the second quarter. And this was big watching the game. I was thinking, okay, if the Saints can get a field goal, score a touchdown here, take the lead, a lot of momentum going into the locker room here. But on a fourth and five, it was a failed after a car incomplete pass, and they were unable uh, to capitalize on that situation. And that fourth down play was on the Rams' 42-yard line, so the Rams would get the ball with 56 seconds left. They would go down the field, and Stafford would find Robinson for a touchdown of four yards, and that would put the Rams up 17 to seven at halftime. So you had an opportunity there for the saints, maybe to tie the game, go in a locker room with 10, 10, or like I said, if you could have got down the field, go uh, 14 to 10, but instead you're down 17 to seven. And then the Rams took that momentum. Like I said, get that 30 to seven lead. Uh, Derek Carr was 27 of 40 for three nineteen in the game. He had three touchdowns. He had one interception in the game. And then Alvin Kamara, 19 yards rushing. So the, the Saints really could not get anything going uh, when it comes to the run game. In this one, it was all about the passing game. Chris Olave did have nine catches for 123 yards in the game. So now when you look at the NFC South, and for the Rams, too, look at them, they're 8-7. and seven, And coming into this week, they were the seventh seed in the NFC, so they are still going to be holding that spot there. In the NFC South, Carolina, obviously, they are eliminated at 2-12. and 12. Atlanta still in it at 6-8, and eight, slim chance. They are still in it. Uh, Tampa Bay leads with a 7-7 record. Of course, the Saints were trying to take a step up and maybe take the lead, continue to keep up with the Buccaneers. But they will play Tampa Bay next week in a big game with those two teams, and then they play the Falcons after that. So the Saints, you look at it, yes, they're 7-8. and eight. The division's not good. They still have an opportunity here to win the NFC South and get into the playoffs. And finally, we do have a YouTube comment over at the Philip Jordan Sports YouTube channel. This comes from Scott Ubiolo. 
I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Also, the rest of the username is 9028. He commented on my interview with Spencer McLaughlin, who is the host of Locked on Pac-12, uh, when we were talking about the Texas-Washington game. He said Texas averages two and a half sacks a game, which is average. They're good against the run because Texas has a huge D-line, but the Huskies' O-line is top three in the country. The Huskies will do to Texas as they did to the Ducks, run them sideline to sideline, and big plays, big guys get tired fast. Then watch Washington start gashing them, and they won't be able to get any pressure on Penix. And the secondary for Texas will get torched. So, obviously, we got some viewers checking out on the West Coast there in Washington. So, we'll see. Uh, but I appreciate the, the comment, and as always, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts on a review. I will read that. Or if you see a video, either on Facebook, X, YouTube, leave a comment there. I'll read those as well. So you can please go and do that. And remember, you can follow me on social media at PJordanSCC. Podcasts available on wiregrassdailyers.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. As I just said, if you leave a review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com and check out all my written work over at Last Word on college football. Got a big weekend, Christmas weekend. Hope everybody has a great Christmas. I won't talk to you guys again until Tuesday. We'll have a podcast on Tuesday. Just two next week. We're going to do Tuesday, Thursday for the next two weeks with the holidays coming up and everything. So that will be the schedule. I'm trying to work on a guest for Tuesday or interview on Friday. But plenty of bowl games on Saturday. We've got some big games in the national football league so uh plenty to talk about when we get back on tuesday with you guys once again i hope everybody has a great christmas have fun and i will talk to you on tuesday until next time bye-bye